fuck it. Rick Ross don't talk like, yes, you know, he's bull. <laughs> you know, he probably, I'm like, yeah, man. So it was fucking crazy today. Like, yeah. he can't do that publicly. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. Oh, don't threaten me with the guitar. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. What's up with it? Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. I'm extremely excited by my next guest. Um, absolutely phenomenal artist. I mean, literally, man, you've been doing such amazing things. I've been following you for a little while now because, I mean, you just you just got such a unique sound, but it's De Niro Farrar. I mean, if you haven't read the title, you're probably missing out, but definitely one of the people that in hip-hop is doing an awesome thing. The first time I listened to you was Fears in Patriarch, the album. Uh, 2013, that came out, and that is just an amazing song, but you've released... It's it's when I looked at your track list for 2022, you've got singles, but then they've got three tracks associated with the singles. I mean, you got Tax Free, which came out most recently, Spook by the Door, uh, Retribution, Ain't Got. Man, you've been doing absolutely amazing things. So it's I've been super excited about this. I've been telling my friends for about two weeks that you're coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me too, man. Well, I was going to ask you when it came to your setup of those kind of singles, how did you kind of figure out to have the the kind of like three tracks associated with them as opposed to just the single on its own? If I'm being completely honest, I was on a label at the time and I had a 12 track, 12 single deals for like 12 singles. And though know, everything everything was going good in the beginning, but then the label start, you know, being the label and I was ready to get out of the situation. So instead of the releasing the songs, I was supposed to release one song every month, a single every month for a year, but I was so ready to get in. I was like, yo man, you know, I, I talked to my team. I was like releasing a song a month. We're going three in a month, you know, cause so we can hurry up and finish, finish this option. So that's really how that came about. It wasn't anything special or particular, like some real thought out strategy. It was just really me trying to get out of my situation as fast as I could, for real. So why did you want to leave the label so quickly? Because I think a lot of time get with a label and they do this shit like romance you in the beginning and they tell you how, you know, they have this whole elaborate plan and none of this stuff happens. And I've I've had maybe eight label situations. And so it's just like really tiring, man, to like get in bed with these labels for the same song and dance, you know? And so it's just like, man, you know what? I knew this was the same situation. I was hoping it was gonna pan out a little different, but once I started to realize they was moving the same as all the other labels, I was like, fuck this, let's go. You know, so I just wanted to fulfill my obligation and not be in breach of contract with the music. And I had already had the music prior to mining to the label. All of the songs that you guys are hearing, I had already previously recorded. Um, Ain't Got with Trinidad James was connected to the record No Jail. That was one song. And I recorded No Jail maybe five years ago with Trinidad. Warner didn't want to release it when I was on Warner at the time as one full song. So we chopped it in two. 
I kept No Jail and Ain't Got is two separate singles. And I released Ain't Got and No Jail both on that on that um independent label. So it was just uh, I was just ready to get the hell out of that situation for real. Yeah, it's it's so strange. Some people do love labels, but most people are starting to say that they're really feeling held back and that obviously like like you said you had a track that you had one full song that made you split it in two so like did you really feel your creativity was being stifled it wasn't necessarily my creativity because i've always had full creative control it was necessarily it, it was more so for me the role and the consistency of putting out the records i've always felt stifled that way by the label not necessarily creatively i've always felt like i've had a lack of support financially and from a marketing standpoint and from a releasing uh standpoint i've always felt stifled too they've always told me there's protocol with the label which i do understand they need four to eight weeks uh lead time to roll out a single but the people are consuming music in this day and age it's like why the fuck am i gonna wait eight weeks and then if i wait eight weeks they're saying wait so they can get some type of uh pr behind it so they can get some type of pickup from blogs and posts and if none of that happens i've waited for the eight weeks for nothing and then if you guys drop the ball on that release now that sets me back another week or another two weeks so now that's damn near 10 weeks where i haven't released the song and i know for me it's not about the music it's the consistency within the algorithm i've created is is what makes my numbers grow so being on that label i started to feel stifled because they were waiting maybe a month in between another month to drop the song. And I was like, that's not what we agreed on. I was like, man, fuck it. Let me just go ahead and start releasing these songs like rapid fire three in a month so I can get the hell out of here. Cause y'all slowing me down in terms of productivity and how consistently I want to release the music. You know what I'm saying? And how are you feeling now? Now that you've been, you're obviously doing it independently and you've got that control back. I mean, honestly, I don't feel no different other than being able to release the music on a consistent basis. Um, I don't really feel no different because I've always been independent. Even in a situation, I've always moved as an independent entity within a situation. Me and my team have always had our own plan as far as how we wanted to move and, you know, in hopes that the label would move with what we had planned, but that never was the case. So I always moved the way that I'm moving right now. But being able to release the music the way I so of course it makes me happy because I can stay within my algorithm and stay consistently streaming and the numbers can keep climbing. So, I mean, it's, it's cool. Well, man, it's, it's always good. I think to finally just have it all in your own hands. I think in a weird way we need to, or artists need to be with a label to see that they can do it themselves. Like if, that's what it feels like is like you were there, you had that experience and you're like, man, I know what I'm doing with my algorithm. I know what I'm doing creatively. I don't really need the machine to kind of stop me from doing what I think is right. Yeah. I mean, and that's how I've always felt, but also coming from being an independent artist and just being an artist in general, you feel like when you sign with a major label, like, oh, that's it. You know what I'm saying? I'm on. Like everything is about to be everything. And, and so I think that's all of our dream, right? It's no different from a ball player playing basketball at the basketball court in his neighborhood. Then he go to high school. Then he go to college. He don't do all that shit just so he can 
still play in college or still play in his neighborhood. He want to go to the league. And for every artist going to the league is signing up and, and, you know, signing to a major label. So that was always my ambition initially, but I didn't really know how the label worked until being on the label, being shelved on the label and understanding that every artist isn't meant to be on a major label. Me being one of those artists, I think the independent grind works better for me. So you know, it took me to be on the label to see that what I thought I wanted, I didn't really need or it wasn't really best for me. Because you, you said you were also part of Warner Brothers, which is obviously yeah. a huge label. And so yeah. how did you feel? Because you said you were shelved at some point. How did you feel when you were shelved? I was always shelved. I just didn't know. <laughs> I just didn't know what the fuck that was. You know what I'm saying? But I was always shelved on Warner Brother. Warner Brother never did anything for me, to be completely honest. They gave me maybe $30,000 uh, uh, marketing budget, and I had to shoot music videos for that. I had to go out and get PR with that. So I, what I'm understanding is with these labels, they're all about volume. The more artists they have, the uh, the more they increase their possibilities of being able to hit big with an artist. And then, you know, it's low risk, high reward. They don't give a lot of money to artists that they don't really see a lot of promise in, but sometimes they can give a little to an artist and he can create a lot depending on his momentum. So being on a fucking label was just always like that for me. They never really invested in me. I didn't know what being shelved was until maybe four years on the label when I realized I wasn't receiving any label services, any type of push, any type of budget. And before they were they were scheduled to give me my second album option was which was maybe like 180,000 they dropped me from the label because they didn't want to give me that money they didn't really see uh I don't think they really valued me as an artist and I don't think they thought it would be a smart investment to invest that money into me it's so strange now though looking at that and going well you have a considerable following like you're doing a really good job like it's not like you know, you, no one plays your music. Like you're doing shows, you're doing these things, and so strange to me that like the label didn't see that potential. I mean, I think certain artists, the label don't really know what to do with. If you're not making songs that they can send the radio, if you're not making that music that I feel like furthers the agenda, and and I know it sounds conspiracy and shit when everybody talk about this agenda, but I really do feel like it's an agenda going on in hip hop, and it's not necessarily the agenda of, of being the soundtrack to genocide, making the soundtrack to the genocide that's happening, which is really real. I mean, the agenda in terms of being able to make the music that they feel you should make. Like the label will tell you, hey, you need to make some of these types of records. So I never felt the label understood me. And for whatever reason, I don't even know why the fuck they signed me, if I'm being honest. I don't know why. I, I think, well, initially Vice wanted to sign me. And at the time, Vice wasn't a full service, full staff label. So they were doing partnerships like Action Bronson was Vice Atlantic. I was the first artist that was Vice and Warner. They needed to team up with bigger labels who had more services and more contacts so that they can make just like, you know, a, a, a merger that really made sense. So they were teaming up with Atlantic and Warner Brother. And like I said, I was the first to be Vice Warner. And yeah, so I could get why Vice wanted to sign me because they signed Action Bronson. I feel like Vice really understood artists who weren't really painting inside or coloring inside the lines. And I was one of those artists. But Vice didn't really, they weren't really as hands-on as they really needed to be with me. Well, you know what? I take that back. 
they were hands-on, but I wasn't as hands-on with my career as I probably should have been or could have been at the time. I was letting my team do a lot of the talking for me, and my team was talking me out of my fucking deal the whole time, and I didn't understand what was happening until I got dropped by Vice first. Really? So so when your team was telling you what was happening and you were kind of letting them speak on your behalf... What, right. what what was happening? Were you surprised when they dropped you? Hell yeah, I was surprised. I don't think my team was giving me the full story from the beginning. I was never on the calls. And I would always say like, y'all, we would have a call every Monday, a creative call with Vice and Warner. And so the heads of Vice Marketing and Warner Marketing would be on the phone with my team. At the time, my team knew just as much as I did about management and the industry. They were very new. And you know, that was one of the other things that I regretted, putting people in position to kind of run my career, and make decisions who didn't really know or understand me as an artist and what was best for me. Because uh, Vice was one of the biggest media conglomerates, man, and they're content kings. So it's like I could have had a, my own spinoff show. I could have did so much shit with Vice based on who I am as a person and an artist. But I don't think my team was ever giving me the full story. I think whenever we circle back so that they can kind of inform me about the meetings, they were just giving me a brief synopsis, but they weren't really telling me. All they were saying was, all oh, Vice keep coming with these dumbass ideas, but they weren't really telling me what the fuck the ideas were. I might have liked the ideas if I would have been on the phone, but I wasn't. And because my team didn't truly understand who I was as an artist or didn't really understand my trajectory or didn't really have a real plan of where I could go um, I think they were turn, turning down a lot of the shit. And at, at some point, Vice is just like, you know, fuck this, man. You guys are difficult to work with. You are turning down all of our ideas for your artists and they end up dropping me. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense on Vice's behalf. Have you changed, obviously, the people who are supporting you, the team around you? Yeah, it took me a while to do it, man. I, I feel like I have these, uh, I, at times, I can have a very... Hmm. What, 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 what are the words I'm looking for? At times I can have uh, attachment issues to certain things, right? And blind loyalty as well, right? So I stay with my team even at, well, I keep saying my team. It was actually only one, one person who was managing me at the time. But I stay with him a few years after that because it was more so a codependency. I thought I needed a manager uh, to manage my career um, I wasn't as certain and sure of myself as I am right now back then. So I felt I needed a manager in order to make decisions, in order to appear like, uh, you know, an artist that people could take serious. I thought, you know, you need a manager. You need somebody to speak on your behalf. Well, and truth be told, we really just wasn't in alignment. But I eventually ended up letting him go. But it wasn't like immediately following me getting dropped. I think it maybe took me another year or two to let that guy go. I think it's always easier said than done to yeah. cut people out because i mean we hear it all the time i hear it all the time as well that you gotta like you know cut the snakes out gotta make sure that everyone around you is like trustworthy but i think that period of like figuring it out and then when you figure it out to make sure that you do it is difficult because i mean you feel a lot of guilt with the relationship there's like a lot of like yeah other things and anguish comes up and so like i can definitely understand why it took you time to make that decision because it's not a decision anyone takes lightly. 
No, nah, man, for sure. Not me. And, and like I say, I got a lot of blind loyalty, you know, coming from the street, you're taught to, you know, stick with your people, right or wrong. This blind loyalty is bullshit, really. You know, it's this code of ethics that people don't really abide by. You know, it's it's people abide by when it's beneficial for them. But if somebody got a bigger opportunity uh, to work with a bigger artist, I'm left me, you know, what I'm saying high and dry as an artist, but because I felt like. No, I my thing is when I work with people in business, I bring them in. I view them as family. I introduce them to my family. I treat them like family. We move like family because that's what I've always wanted, you know, to feel like the people I do business with are good people and, and we like family. But that's never been the case for the people that I brought on to manage me. I've always treated them like family, but they always showed me in the end this shit was business. You know what I'm saying? Has that changed your perspective now on how you bring people in? Uh, man, you know what? I, I mean, I, the, the family thing is just in me, man. You know what I'm saying? Like being able to attract people that that I can trust and that I can view, you know, like family to a certain extent. I think I still have that about me, but I think I'm a little bit more apprehensive now when I bring people in. I think more so I'm on some show and prove shit because I'm not an artist who's on a come up. I'm still coming up. But I'm not an artist who's freshly starting out where I have everything to prove. I've established myself. I've established a fan base, a cult following, and I have a, a significant amount of listeners. So I feel like when people come in to work with me now, it's kind of like, all right, well, cool. Well, show me what you can do. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously we wouldn't be here if you didn't see what I could do. I'm going to continue to perform as an artist, but show me what you bring to the table versus before I didn't make people show me that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just kind of like people could come in on selling me a dream about what they were going to do and I would buy it, you know, but the shit different now. Yeah. Obviously the, you know, the shoes on the other foot where like they will benefit a lot from being part of what you're doing rather than just like, if it sounds like that's what you saw before that like you were just not a hundred percent of like, you know, still growing as an artist so you knew where you could get but you thought you needed like others to support you and help you get there whereas now it definitely sounds like it's the the other way around where you know where you're going and the people who want to be there need to make sure they give you what you need as well exactly exactly and, and but if i'm being honest with myself i always had motion for real with what i was doing like i even from the beginning of the guy who ushered me into my deal with Warner, I was already over all, being covered by all the blogs, damn near getting best new music with Pitchfork. I always had motion. My views were in the high hundreds of thousands. Even then, I just didn't really see the value in myself. I didn't know I was that valuable. I didn't know what I, you know, the, the, the true power of what I really brought to the table. I always kind of downplayed myself as an artist. I never really viewed myself as like, yo, I'm really out here doing shit. You know, I think I'm just walking into that, like, you know, later on in the game, I developed that type of confidence about what I do and bring to the table. Why do you think it took you so long? Usually it's the, I mean, I speak to artists a lot and usually it's the other way around, the blind belief in themselves and belief that they're going to be, you know, or that they are the greatest. But what do you think it was that didn't let you like connect the dots? I don't think I ever believed in myself. You know what I'm saying? In anything that I ever did, I played sports in school. I didn't really have, you know, people really supporting me. You know, I think like believing in 
itself comes from people believing in you too, you know? And I think like when you look at the Kanye documentary, right? His mom was like his number one fan. She was constantly putting a battery in Kanye's back. Like do that shit. He rapping for his mom. She know the lyrics, like all of these things. And I feel like that's what fortifies a confident being, you know, when you start growing up you start growing into your confidence like oh shit i can really do this not because i'm seeing what i'm doing but because somebody believes in me that i see every day and they're pouring that belief into me which then makes me believe in myself which then makes me go out in the world and present myself with a certain confidence i never had that confidence bro you know and i developed that confidence through music it took years to do it but i never had that confidence bro and that was the 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 downside to not having real true confidence in myself or my ability but i always knew i was great i was a great performer i was a great artist but i didn't really feel that way on the inside about myself even in seeing the results that i was getting i didn't really feel that way about myself it's interesting because i can kind of understand where you're coming from like despite the success you're always looking at like you know uh, I still am not there yet or like, you know, there's still a lot to be achieved or there's still like, you know, the fear of complacency is something that like is really big of like, hey, if I let, even though I did a good job, if I acknowledge it and I let it become part of me, then I'm scared it'll never happen again. And so it's like that self-doubt of like that imposter syndrome that continues to drive. But I mean, it's good because now I look at you and I'm like, it feels like you're as confident as you you've ever been yeah it took me a long time though and i i genuinely had like i projected to be confident more than anything but i really wasn't confident man i was super shy super insecure you know i still struggle with insecurity to this day uh revolving my craft you know what i'm saying like i i mean the childhood traumas inform the way that we view the world and we, the way that we view ourselves and my shit was so man like my childhood did such a number on me i didn't really understand until it came time for me to stand on my own too and be confident in my own ability to realize i wasn't as confident as i thought i was and as in, in me as a person as a man as an artist as anything i didn't have any real confidence all that shit was a mirage man it looked cool but the closer you get to it i never let anybody get close enough to see that the confidence was masking all of my insecurities but it wasn't real confidence yeah did it was it was it tough not having people that close to you because like if like you know there's i think there's um there's a japanese kind of metaphor and it's like everyone has three masks the mask they have for the general public the mask they have for their family and friends. And the third mask is the mask for when they are alone. And that's what the mask they wear when they're alone. And so did you feel like that, that you had like these levels of like your, your being that you shared with people, but there was like still this part that you didn't let a lot of people see. Yeah, man. I mean, I even go through that shit now. A lot of times, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like I'm so layered as a human being, right? That I feel like there's so many nuances in letting a person really like unearthing all of who you are to a person, bro. Because there's people love you for one side of you. There's people who love you for two and three parts of you. But to have a person who genuinely loves you for all of who you are, bro, that shit is such a rarity that I don't even know if I've ever even experienced that in life. I don't even 
know, uh, I don't even know if there's anybody on this earth who fully knows all of who I am. How does that make you feel? I mean, I think there's just a reality. I, do you feel that there's anybody on the face of this earth who knows every part of who you are outside of God? I actually had this conversation with my brother, and I probably agree with you. Probably not. I think there is always a part of ourselves that we leave just to ourselves, that no matter how close somebody – like, I don't know, that's that's me as a cynic a little bit of like, you know, and and part of it is also like I want to keep a part of myself to myself. Like it's – I don't know, that that's kind of how I feel, but um, I I do think that the – the desire to have someone that close that you want to show every part of yourself is, is kind of nice to think about potentially attaining. Well, you know what? I have that now. I I would say, like I say, I don't think that there's anybody on the face of the earth knows every single part of me. Right. Like you say, I do believe that we keep a certain amount of us reserved for us in a weird way, but I think my partner knows and sees, she sees, I mean, she's the closest thing to me outside of my children. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm with her every day when I'm not on the road. We live together, you know? So she sees, she's seen the largest part of me, you know, at this stage of my life, she has seen so many parts of me, you know, and I can be extremely layered around her. I feel, I feel completely comfortable you know just unearthing so many sides of who i am i could be sad i could be silly i could be happy i could be frustrated i could be angry i could be you know a fucking 15 year old you know kid you know i could be an eight year old i could be my 35 year old self i could be confident i could be insecure so i would say the large part of who i am she gets the largest part of who i am you know and the parts of me that that she doesn't get are the parts of me I'm still figuring out. You know, those are the parts of me that I'm still unearthing. That's why she hasn't gotten those. But as I unearth those, she gets those too. Yeah, I was actually gonna gonna say that. I feel like you know you because we're all like layered individuals, and there are things about ourselves that we don't even understand or know, or like how we react or why we react in a certain way or how we feel about certain things. So. You know, I think it is definitely a healthy part to be able to discover that on your own and try and understand that before you bring a lot of people in because it can be overwhelming when you just like emotion dump on others. And so like that's just – I think it's an important part to recognize when it's safe to share and when it's right to share and then when it's important to be like, all right, I need to kind of have this moment with myself. Yeah. And you know, it's crazy. I'm still learning that too, right? Because I think having to, when you grow up in certain environments and certain households where you don't have the agency of choice, right? That shit's been removed from you. You don't have a voice where you don't have any boundaries where, you know, 
where there's no type of emotional regulation going on. Nobody's emotionally regulated in these environments, including the people who birthed you and raised you, you know, so we're constantly spilling over on each other constantly. You know, uh, you know, my mom might come in frustrated about her day at work has nothing to do with me, but that shit spills over on me, you know? And so we grow up to be these adults who are not emotionally regulated. And that's, that's one of the huge uh, one of the biggest topics in my relationship that we talk about now, me and my partner being emotionally regulated and not being raised by people who were emotionally regulated and then having to regulate self as individuals and then regulate self to be in a partnership. Like that shit is challenging because I feel like we're creating a new blueprint that we had no type of, no type of guide right we didn't have a blueprint for the blueprint that we're creating right now in our household and it's so new it's so different and you know she gave me this analogy one time where it's about like centering each other right who's gonna remove whose current state of frustration trauma and pain to center the other person so it's like you being left out in the rain ringing the doorbell constantly. I'm in the house watching television. The TV is up and I don't hear you. Eventually I hear you come to the door. You're soaking wet. You're frustrated because you've been out in the rain and I'm frustrated because you're yelling at me and I didn't hear you. So who is going to decenter themselves to center the person? So it's like the person in the house, you're not wet. You may be a little frustrated because the person who's wet is angry from being wet, but you're not wet. You're not cold. You haven't been trying to get in the house. So you can decenter what you're feeling at the moment to say, hey, you're wet. I love you enough to say, let's get you in dry clothes. And when you return back to home base on an emotional level, then we can address what came up for the both of us. You know, but nobody does that shit. Everybody is so busy spilling over on each other, you know, because everybody feels just. I didn't hear you. The TV was up. I didn't fucking hear you. Okay. But I was ringing the fucking doorbell. So everybody feels just in their current state of frustration and trigger and trauma. But who is going to decenter themselves to center somebody else? That's the emotional regulation part. Regulating your emotions mean not that you don't feel this shit, but you're so regulated. You can see through the fog of the current emotions to still be able to speak and think logically and meet a person in love and with love. Right. So that's like kind of where we are right now in my household, me and my partner, what we're building and what we're establishing. And it's new and you know, the shit isn't easy sometimes, but it's worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like it's great advice and it's tough because you do have to learn to like put your emotions aside. And it sounds like, you know, part of it is it's not about winning. Like, I think that's no. the challenge. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, my emotion is more stronger than yours and therefore it's more right. valid than yours. When in reality, I think you and your partner have a good setup, which is like the win is that your relationship continues to build and stay strong. That's what winning really is. I think sometimes people are obsessed with like, you know, and, and I've been there of like, I want to win the argument. And then if I win the argument, I'm right. And then I feel better because I won the, but it doesn't work that way. It just damages the other person. They don't feel as close to you. They don't trust you as much. And then all of a sudden, like you wonder why a relationship breaks down. Cause it's not about being right. And, and when you have somebody who has, who, who is as, as, as patient, 
um, as my partner, man, because it's like, bro, I ain't never experienced the shit that I'm experiencing right now. I'm used to arguing, not talking for a few days, you know, going radio silent, walking around the house like we're complete strangers, man. And, you know, it's like, this shit is so different. And it's the woman I'm going to spend my life with and marry because not because of, you know, what we're implementing, because where we are on a heart level and, and the connection level, but then what we're building on an emotional stability level for us as a partnership individually and for anybody who comes into contact with us. You know what I'm saying? Like this morning we arrived in New York. It's fucking six in the morning we get out the tour bus there's one guy it's supposed to be two sprinter vans it's 11 of us you were tired it's raining it's cold uh and it's this one guy man loading up all of this stuff in the back of the sprinter and everybody's just bringing their bags up and dropping them and walking away but nobody stopped to ask this guy like how are you man how you doing you know, like, good morning. You know, nobody said it, man. And it's, and, and it's, and it's not to put these guys out because it's like, they're fucking tired. They're not thinking about that. They're trying to get in the sprinter. So we get to the hotel so they can sleep. So I understand that. But in that moment, everything that I'm practicing and working on within my household kicked in for me to center this guy, man. It's 11 of us. This guy's putting all of our fucking luggage in the trunk. Nobody said, thank you. Nobody said good morning that I heard. Right. Everybody's like tired. And I was, too. And I was like, man, hey, how you doing? Good morning. And he was like, I'm well, man. Thank you, you know, for asking, because sometimes that shit means the world. And then when we got out of the van, he unpacked everybody's shit. Everybody's got their shit rolled away and got in a hotel. I don't know if anybody said thank you, but I waited until he was done unpacking everybody's stuff. And he went around, checked the sprinter, make sure ain't nobody leave anything, closed the doors. And I said, thank you, man. I really appreciate you. And he stopped. He was like, what's your name, man? And I was like, Dante, he was like, man, it's really nice to meet you, man. You know, you're a different type of person. I was like, thank you. You know, and I walked away and I didn't necessarily do it for gratification, but I wanted him to feel seen in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a lot of us, we walk the streets, nobody feels fucking seen, man. You know, we see each other, but we don't see each other. Nobody's seen him this morning, I felt like. And, you know, me sitting away, sitting my shit aside to say, I've been on a fucking lousy tour bus bunk riding overnight feeling every speed bump you know like and i'm tired man it's five in the morning it's like raining and i had every excuse not to center him and to center what i was feeling in that moment but it wasn't about me being right or it wasn't about me negating what i felt in that moment but it was like man this is a human that needs to be centered in this moment and it's because of the work that i'm doing in my household or myself and with my partner that allowed me to see that this morning and i'm grateful for that too you know well, I think that is an important thing that we should all do better is like, you know, just just those little things of like there are people in our lives that we don't know, never spoken to, but they play a role for whatever reason. It might be, you know, the mailman. It might be whoever it might be. But I think definitely, you know, those little things make a big difference and they all add up. And I'm a big believer in like what you put out in the world, you get in return. And so when you put positivity out there and you make others feel, you know, supported and good, then you will get that in return. So, you know, it makes sense to me that, you know, you're feeling as good as you're feeling and then the things that you're doing on the outside will continue to help build that. So I think it's definitely like a, a good evolution for you. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I agree 100%. Man. It feels amazing, man. Well, we were talking before we started about 
you know, the tour life about being busy. And you were starting to talk about, you know, the the facade of like everyone makes you feel like you got to be as busy as possible. You're hustling 24 seven. How do you feel about, you know, the structure of like being busy, but also having balance in your life? I don't think there's a structure there. I think you have to create it, you know, and I'm trying to create it. So right now I live in a Pacific Northwest, which is, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon. And I've been living there, me and my partner, me and my wife, right? I always, I would call her my wife. This is my wife. Like, this is like, she's bigger than my partner. This is my wife. So, so me and my wife, we moved there uh, a year ago. And when we went to, (laughs) before we moved there, we went to visit, but we would always visit in the summertime. It was so beautiful. Like we didn't know it rained for fucking six months straight. Like we didn't know this shit, you know, because every time we went, it was beautiful. And we had to be so excited. We like, hell yeah. You know, we found a beautiful house, you know, so we moved there, but we move in the middle of the winter. It's like, uh, I believe like September, I think we moved there from New York. So I'm like, oh, it's cool. It ain't as cold. But I'm like, when we got there, it was overcast, raining. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, you know, it's raining. Okay, it's been raining all this week. Overcast. Okay, it's been raining, you know, these last two weeks. Okay, this is a little different. Okay, it's been raining all month. It's been raining all next month. Like, what the fuck is going on? So I started breaking down mentally, seriously. And I, and I had to go back to therapy because I felt my mind just breaking in so many ways where I didn't really know how much the sun is in association with your mood. I didn't know that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I've never lived in a place where we didn't have sun, even in the winter, even it was cold the sun was still out like where I'm from, you know? And so that shit was so different for me. And so we have paintings in our house hung up by this professional painter and my, well, my wife hates when I not hates when I tell this story, but she kind of said the same thing to me, but I think sometimes people can say things, but it take another person to say it for you to really get it. Cause they could probably say it in a different way for it to really land. So she kind of said this to me, but it didn't land the way the guy who came to hang up our portrait said it to me. And and we were just having a real candid conversation. I was like, he, and he asked me, like, how have you been adjusting to Portland? I was like, man, it's been really hard for me. You know, like, I'm a creative man. I haven't felt creative. It's hard to get out of the bed. And he said, well, you move so close to nature that you have to learn to get on nature's schedule. Everything is hibernating, dying off and resting during these during the rainy season. But then everything starts to come back. Everything starts to bloom and get beautiful again. So now as humans, we have to get on the same accord as nature. So we need to be hibernating. This is when you create plans and strategize and start to plant seeds. So when things start to bloom again, you'll bloom with nature. Like everything will be in alignment. And I never looked at it that way. And so now I'm going back into it. Now that it's about to be winter again, I get to go into it with a different perspective and outlook. So to kind of circle back around to what we were initially saying, the balance of not being busy, I'm learning that through living in Oregon where I don't, I'm still adjusting to it because I'm used to the hustle and bustle mentality of the industry. But then that shit is so depleting and it's not sustainable. So now living there, I'm able to scale back a little more, pour more into myself, go hiking, even though it's like this consistent rain, it's that little misty rain, still going a hike with rain boots, a rain jacket on, seeing nature, even in its elements, 
when it's raining, it's still beautiful. So getting in touch with that, getting in touch with myself so that when it's time for things to start blooming again, I'll do it. And whatever comes on a creative level will come. Like, so now this makes way for my podcast. So I don't have to lay all the way into the medium of just rapping. I've created a podcast structure now where I have a podcast studio at my house. So I'll be able to do that during the seasons of rain and when it's slow and when it's gloomy. I can just sit back and like kick my shit and talk about the things I want to talk about. And I'm still being productive in my medium. That's still art. I'm still, you know, being productive. I can still monetize on that. And then when the creativity comes to me in the form of music, I have a recording setup studio so I can then be in flow with that, but I'm not forcing it. And I think it's just important for us as artists to create some type of ebb and flow schedule versus it happening on its own because now we're not as busy because people aren't checking for us or we're not on tour or COVID hits or whatever, I think as artists, we need to be intentional about creating that space for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's, I mean, you, you spoke about a lot, so I'm going to touch on a couple of those things. But <laughs> right. I think I think we're, we're definitely dis, disassociated with our environment. Like nature, we as humans have like in the weirdest way, like nature is different to us now. Like nature happens to us. It doesn't happen. It's like, oh, it's so fucking hot today. I can't believe it's so hot or it's raining today. And it's like, I can't believe it's raining. Oh, winter sucks. Or it's like, you know, all these things, like we are almost in, in this weird place. And, and I think more than any time in human history, we are so disassociated from the environment and disassociated from nature that the lesson that you just spoke about, I think most people for, have forgotten that like yeah I, I think most people don't even get the lesson most people never come in contact with the lesson most people are going to continue to have a love-hate relationship with nature and 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 you know yeah hell yeah i don't think that's something that is forgotten i think it's something people just don't even understand or have taken the time to even get in alignment with i, I yeah so i think people are okay with it happening to them that way they can keep complaining about it yeah, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people, though, who still is like, oh, it's so fucking hot. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, especially in Australia, like, it is ridiculous sometimes. Like, the sun just, like, it feels like you're baking on the streets. Yeah. I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of heat. You know, I'm not a fan of summer. I, I like that everybody is outside and there's more to do. But I don't fucking like being hot, man. I don't like it at all. It makes me irritable. It makes me, I have to shower more. Like, I don't like that shit. You know what I'm saying? And I like being layered. I like wearing a lot of clothes. Because the cool thing about the winter is you can put on more clothes to get warm. The thing about the summer is, it's like, who wants to walk around in less clothing? You damn not have to walk around shirtless to feel, like, good, you know? And even still, it's still hot. What, but do you know what I realized last summer? Because I, I agree with you. I have always said that I'm a winter person more than a summer person. But I was like, you know what? Let's do like a self kind of experiment. Why don't you say it's good? Like, just tell yourself it's good. Start enjoying it and being like, the sun is good. The heat is good. And you know what? I started to enjoy it a lot more. And I was like, you know, part of it is just like your own perception of things. 
And mm-hmm. if you accept it, and I started to accept it, I'm, I was just like, I'm going to be hot, I'm going to be sweaty, and that's it. And it's that's just what it is, and everyone's going to be like that around me. And then it just took away this kind of like annoyance at it. And so I think that that's kind of part of it is like just it just allowing it to happen and you just being like today is another day, it just happens to be hot and I'll survive. I'll just keep going. Yeah, I think maybe I need to adapt, uh, adapt that uh, outlook on it because I, I really don't rock with summer. I've never liked summer, even as a kid, man. I just like going outside and playing. But the heat, I never liked it. I never, never was a fan of the heat, man. I definitely get it. I 100% get it. And I, to be fair, winter clothes are so much better. Like boots Ooh, and shit. Yeah. Like hoodies. Like it just like yeah. the shit that you can wear is so much better. Like, and I love yeah, coats I and jackets and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. I get to bring out all of my shit, man. And you, the layers, you can wear a hoodie with a leather jacket or, you know, like, I mean, I love layers, man. So, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you um, about, there's a line in tax free that I yeah. had to, I was like, you know what? I feel like you might get this question before, but um, there was a line that I was like, hold on, I got to go back and double check this. And I think I got it right, but you said, fuck pun going for number two. And I was like, hmm, I wonder, does that mean that you're saying big puns number one and you're going for number two or you're going no, like, for number one? Hell no. <laughs> no, I said fuck punting, like fuck punt and I'm going to go for the two. Like, so in NFL, you can punt or you can go for the, for the, the, second the extra point. conversion. Yeah. So it's like, fuck punt and I'm going to go for the two, you know, because that's one point when you punt. So I'm going for the two. Like, I'm going to make an attempt, like a pass, a run. Like, I want the two points. Fuck punting, you know. So nah, never, never fuck the big pun, man. <laughs> Respect the big pun, man. Because nah, I was just know. like, because obviously that's my Australian coming out in me is like i didn't hear punting like it just didn't click to me so because it's not no ing on it, it yeah. i didn't say fuck punting it's like <laughs> fuck punting it's like fuck punting you know like yeah it's like there's no ing it's like, yeah i is punting like fuck punting i'm gonna go for the two you know what i mean so yeah i think that's like more of like an american thing where we say we don't fully pronounce the whole word we'll just kind of put you know slang on it and yeah, but nah, I never fuck Big Pun. I fuck with Big Pun. I, I haven't listened to a lot of Big Pun, but I like Big Pun. Well, I, and also bias from me because I do love Big Pun personally. So as soon as anyone's like Pun, I'm like, what? What do you say about Big Pun? Yeah. That's like, that's like a me thing. Yeah. He was like, yo, what's up with that Big Pun shit? <laughs> no, I wasn't ready to yeah. get, get at you. To me, it was like, <laughs> oh, maybe it's like, you know, homage and respect. And I was like, you know, props to you. Because I, I would have been like, I love that. But. Yeah, now I just know that that I misinterpreted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. That shit happened a lot with rap leagues, though, so. Yeah, it takes me ages to, like, and I've been listening to hip-hop for a while now, and so, I mean, you'd hope so, considering what we're talking about, but, like, it still takes me ages to, like, really catch on double meanings, metaphors, and, like, what is actually being said. Like, I think it is such a complex art to be able to number one do it and then number two listen to it mm-hmm. yeah i get that i mean i i, I sometimes i 
sometimes I um I go through that and it depends on the artist delivery. Sometimes I I I struggle with like what did he say? Like you know, I really truly understanding like what the fuck did he say literally? Like I I don't I, I can't comprehend what he's saying. Not that I don't understand it. I can't understand what he's saying, you know? So I go through that from time to time, depending on who I'm listening to. Who who are your influences right now at the moment? Uh, I mean, I think my influence never really changed, you know, on the music. Uh, Tupac, for sure. Uh, Andre 3000. Um I mean, man, wow. Uh, D'Angelo, how funky he is, you know, with his vibes. I tend to try to get in D'Angelo bags, you know, for some of the records um, that I do. I love Freddie Gibbs too, man. I really do. I like Freddie Gibbs a lot, you know. Um, Freddie. And he just dropped an album, Freddie Gibbs. Yeah, I just listened to it. I just listened to it um, in Ohio, in Columbus. The guy who was our runner, he was taking us like back and forth to places on the way to the gym. He played Freddie's album. And then I got out of the car and played it while I was in the gym and got back in the car with him and he was playing it. So I, I had a pretty good listen at his album. I thought it was okay. Um, so he's he's definitely one of the influences. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Tupac, I said... Yeah, I don't have a lot of rap influences right now. Um, I, there's a lot of rappers I like, but influence, I don't really have a lot. Trouble from, from Atlanta. He he recently was murdered, but him, like, I like his music so much. And, and, it, and it has an influence when I, like, want to be real Southern in my raps. Definitely Goody Mob, Outkast, you know, but I don't have that many. Well, I was going to say, something that I do like about your music is that you know, you, your voice is very unique and I've kind of been, I've spoken about voice a lot on this podcast that like, to me personally, as a hip hop listener, like voice is such a key factor and it can like make or break you. But there are a lot of artists who, you know, have a great voice, but then they get kind of lost in the auto tune and they get lost in manipulating their natural voice to something that doesn't sound as good. And I don't think that's happened to you. I think you've really found a great lane for like really accentuating and finding the right tonality for your natural voice. Yeah, I agree. If, if that's, if I could say one thing that I had confidence in, I always had confidence in the, the fact that my voice was so unique. Like I was so confident in that. At one point in time, I used to always announce myself before coming on a track for whatever reason. You know, rappers go through it's Gucci. Like we all go through, you know, we all go through that phase. Um, and some people stick to it, but for me, I was like, man, I think people would be able to pick my voice out in a lineup if you played me. If you played thirty artists and said which one is De Niro, they'd be like, oh, that's him for sure. That's definitely him. Like, I think it. I, I felt that I was so confident in that. I was like, I don't need to say my name on songs. I just need to create more awareness around my name, but I never have to say my name again. Because once I come into a person's awareness and they hear me and they consume me, they'll be able to hear me like riding down the street. Like, oh shit, that was De Niro's music playing. Like, so I felt that confident. So if I have confidence in nothing else, I had confidence in the fact that my voice was very unique. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think you I think that's a good confidence to have. I always find yeah. that like, you know, I understand beat tags for producers because like they're on so many different things, but like as an artist, the goal should be that you are recognizable as soon as your voice is heard. Like, you know, yeah. we, you spoke about yeah. Andre 3000. No one needs to announce Andre 3000. You know it's I don't Andre think 3000. I've never heard him come on a song like is Andre like, yeah. like I've never he always he would say his name and so like I'm Andre Benjamin Andre to be exact or you know like three stacks he would always say it in a song but never has I have I heard Andre announce himself never have I heard Tupac announce himself on a fucking regular it's Tupac and then start <laughs> rapping like nah, it was always like I think that's one thing that they always knew but that era of music was predicated on individuality too. So there was not another use. So it wasn't like nobody sounded like Andre or Tupac. So we knew those people, but now I didn't know fucking Panda was designer. I thought that was fucking future. Like I thought it was future. So now I feel like people need to announce themselves on songs if they don't have a real unique tone or anything unique about their delivery. Cause there's so many artists that I hear my little brother playing. I'm like, is this, oh boy? And he's like, no, this is somebody different. I'm like, what the fuck? Everybody sounds the same now. Well, I actually agree with you. I listen to, every now and again, I go onto like a Spotify playlist and just like see what's popping, you know, what they're pushing. And like 99% of it sounds exactly the same. The beats are generic. The voices sound the same. They've got the same auto-tune, the same flows. And it's just like, you know, there is... Uh, there is a point where like no one gives a shit about this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll phase out, but that's, that's why I say that's that label shit. That's the labels doing that shit. That's the labels pushing that shit. And that, that artists who aren't confident in their individuality and they're mimicking what they see because people are mimicking this shit and becoming successful every day. Like, fucking Cardi B took Kodak Black's flow and got on off of it, making Bodak Yellow. That was a Kodak Black's flow, even though she's a woman. So, of course, there was some uh, differences there, but that was the same identical flow. Young uh, Young M.A. had Bobby Shmurda fucking hot nigga uh, flow. And, I, I mean, we're just in a, in a, in a fucking copycat phase and era of the industry man and it's the shit is exhausting and i and you know i try not to personalize it like how the fuck are a lot of these people winning and i'm not i just try to really stay focused on what i'm doing you know and stay you know just consistent but sometimes i really get frustrated at that shit like what the fuck is going on like how am i a guy who prides themselves on individuality not just pride myself but it shows in my work that i'm my own island of music and sound and nobody's gotten behind it to push it yet. But I think, you know, seeds planted out of season, harvest no fruit. It just wasn't my season. I feel like I'm walking into my season now. So I don't got to worry about this shit because it's coming. I think you know. You know why. Because they're push being pushed. And so their careers are not going to be 20 years. Because, yeah, it, like, it's just not going to happen because – that sound will number one begin to die off like they will always have people who like it but it becomes so overplayed the people are like man i heard this already and we've been hearing it for like 10 years now and so i can already feel like hip-hop is evolving 
people are using more of their natural voice and that like, you know, same, same is getting old and people are just like, I heard that. Yeah. Literally heard the same track 10 years ago. And now I'm hearing the same thing again and again and again from every different artist and they might pop, but they're not going to stay on for, for a long period of time or most of them won't. They'll probably have, you know, the odd one who has a long career, but like, when you're replaceable like that, then of course it's not going to last. No, man. I think the lifespan of most artists coming out nowadays, it's equivalent to the NFL. You know, most artists in this industry now, their lifespan is like a running back. There's very few quarterbacks and very few kickers in the industry of music. Jay-Z being a kicker or a quarterback. These guys have 20, 20 odd years in the game, you know, but most artists are like fucking running backs where their life, the, the lifespan of a running back in the league career span of them is like four, five years tops. If that. So. Yeah. I think that's maybe why a lot of them cash it in. You know, they're like, I don't even think they cash it in. They give the money right back. When you look at it, they're spending the money so frivolously that they're not, I can see if they got in, stacked up a bunch of fucking money and didn't spend it and they're like all right fuck you guys i don't care if i'm not hot no more i just came in stacked up 10 million and started these businesses and invested into some compound interest or into some fucking currency or land but they literally get in get a drug addiction if they don't already have one get jewelry get these cars get these places but your career then the careers aren't sustainable because it's like there's no fucking severance package when they kick you out of rap like all right man here's fucking seven million good luck with your life it's just like fuck you you ain't hot no more we turning the machine off you and we got a new guy to replace you good luck with your endeavors and all of the fucking lifestyle adjustments that you then now have to keep up the you know the lifestyle shift and change because you're about to start you know financially you're about to take a drastic hit. Nobody's fucking with you no more. I see it happen all the time. It's currently happening to some of the biggest artists who everybody was talking about. I'm watching the numbers do like this. And that's going to say a lot about their pockets because they ain't getting a million a show no more. 500,000 a show no more. 200,000 a show no more. That shit's going to go down to 20, 10. Now you're going to be begging for a show. That's how that shit happens, man. I mean, they're, they're cashing in for the lifestyle. You know, and I think, and I think, in a weird way, it goes back to their trauma as a kid, because like, hell yeah, you know, when you're a kid and you've never seen life like that, you came from struggle or you came from an environment that, you know, you thought was never in your reach, and then all of a right. sudden, the cars, the jewelry, the lifestyle, the drinking, it all just becomes a reality. And it's like what you thought was cool as a kid. It was like, that's what I always wanted. But it's not sustainable over a long period. But they're cashing it in for like that childhood dream, that trauma-led dream of like, this is what I wish I had, rather than like, let's build long-term success. Yeah, for sure. And this is the shit that's being promoted to them too, right? Like, I mean, look at the algorithm on social media. Like, you know, these lifestyles are being promoted. People are living their lives vicariously through social media or on social media. People are keeping up with social media. Like if you didn't see it, you wouldn't know what to buy with the money. 
That's why Michael Jackson was buying like giraffes and shit, monkeys and shit. Like there was nothing for him to see. So he really had to create from his imagination. Like, what do I want to buy? Like, motherfucker built the whole fucking fairy tale land. Roller coasters is like, because there wasn't a lot of imagery for those guys to take in at the time. It was like, I'm buying whatever the fuck I want. Mike Tyson buying tigers and shit. He ain't seen nobody with no damn tigers and shit. It wasn't no social media. He literally was like, I want a tiger bought tigers now people are wanting shit because they see it oh, i want the new wraith man i got man I, I need to get a bigger chain man food just got them came out with his chain and shit bro i need to go drop another 200 on my shit i hate i cringe when i see rappers be like shit yeah this is about 300 on the wrist about 500 on my neck shit the ears are cool honey my pinky about 60 you know what i'm saying just out here doing this shit. And I'm just like, oh, wow, man, this is crazy. Yeah, I find it so strange that people would want to wear a million dollars. Like you they walk don't. on the streets and you wear like, you know, all this shit and like, you know, I don't know, for me, I'm, I like, you know, a, a little ring, a watch, and that's it. That's all you need. Like that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, you know, you should have like, some accessories but like i wouldn't go as far as like the huge chain i remember prodigy was saying like you know when he was coming up that the biggest chain was like the thing so that's been you know cool since the 90s that's the that's been since the 80s man that was drug culture shit man rap is literally emulating drug culture now drug culture is emulating rap culture. All of those shits go hand in hand. One hand washes the other, both hands washes the face. Them shit, this shit is all the fucking same, man. Drug culture, rap culture. Rappers look like drug dealers. Drug dealers look like rappers, entertainers. Fucking basketball players are starting to look like rappers and drug dealers and everybody's starting to look the same. All the women look the same. All the asses look the same. The lip injections, the titties, the poses, the clothes, the captions. Like everything is starting to look the same, bro. It's, it's fucking insane. But I think that now it's, it's, it's always been a danger for you to wear jewelry, even in drug culture, but in drug culture, it was a statement that if I can wear my jewelry and nobody takes it, it just solidifies and validates that I'm really a for real guy that you don't want to fuck with. Rappers adopted that mentality, but people in the street who are vultures assume that rappers are so not what they rap. Now they're targets. They're like, yo, we really out here killing people in the streets and robbing motherfuckers. And y'all think y'all gonna wear this jewelry because wearing the jewelry is a statement piece that you ain't gonna fuck with me. I'm in your neighborhood with all of this shit on. Y'all starving, but you ain't gonna fuck with me. And people wear this shit. And guess what's happened? People are being murdered for it now. Always been murdered. But now it's starting to be fucking common, bro. When I seen that shit with PNB Rock, I was like, oh boy, it's on. It's on. That was the light switch being flipped on to like, this shit's about to really start happening way more often. They're letting you know you're not even in, you're not even safe in an establishment eating with your family if you're wearing this shit. And if you're wearing it, you're letting us know that you're okay with the consequences that come with wearing it and you're willing to protect it and we're not going to take it from you. That's what they're saying. I mean, how many people do you think really ever consider that? 
Uh, well, well, see, rappers fake consider it because they always say in their rhyme, nigga, reach for my chain or you get shot in his brain. So they all say it. They all, they all are aware of it. But I think money, power, success makes people really feel invincible. All that's happening to them niggas, it ain't gonna happen to me. So everybody, it's in everybody's awareness. All those rappers just seen what happened to PNB Rock. Go on Instagram. Most of those rappers are still out eating publicly wearing their jewelry because it's a statement to say, I'm out with all of my jewelry on in the midst of people being murdered for theirs because it's not going to happen to me. That's what they're saying. That's literally what their mind is telling them. Man, fuck that. It happened to them niggas, but ain't nobody going to try you like that. Rock your shit. Because if you don't wear it as a rapper, it make you look like you're not what you rap. If you're saying in your raps, I'm willing to die for this shit I wear, but people see you out in public and be like, well, where you doing at? This is where it counts. This is where you wear it. This is where it makes it real. You're on the streets with no jewelry on. You're a pussy. Because you know you can't wear it on the streets. So rappers have to wear their jewelry on the streets. See, but part of me is like, yeah, but rapping is entertainment. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's there's this weird kind of thing where like, you know, an actor plays a gangster and then they stop playing the gangster and they go back to their real life and no one's like, man, you played like this mob guy and you're not that person. Like, I don't see why. And I think like it's a hip hop perception thing. And I've always wanted this, like, and I think it's a lot to do with the artists of like, they want to stay on and they want to make sure that, you know, the reputation is still there, but like, it's still a show. It's still a performance. And so to me, it's like, when you don't draw the line of like art and then real life, that's when obviously it becomes more dangerous. But like we don't have the same problem with actors who just play these roles and then they're like, all right, I'm done and I move on. Well, see, because there's not – see, when the, when the actor takes on the role of a gangster, drops that role and then becomes Superman, then drops that role and becomes a fucking military – undercover agent spy slash man male nanny slash fucking fast and furious six there's so many character switches and there's so many reference points for that one person denzel washington was viewed for a long time as the bad cop from training day but then he had to keep putting roles on top of roles to remind people i'm not just that but as a rapper, it's one reoccurring role. Once you get in the industry of music and say you're a gangster rapper, you have to be that. You can't switch. You, 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 you can't switch. There's no separation. You cannot switch. How they find you is how you must remain in the industry of music. If Future said today, I want to be a socially conscious rapper, people would be like, okay, that's cool, but we don't want to hear that shit, Future. We want to hear the future that we love. They don't have the same grace. The same space isn't held for rappers, so they have to constantly be in character. There's no separation for this being art. You don't see people trying to wrestle Kurt Angle on the street. They know this shit is wrestling. Like, right? Like, The Rock has been able to transmute the success of being a wrestler so much so to the point where there's people who don't even know he wrestled before. They just see him as an actor. But as a rapper, you're constantly a fucking rapper. But see, that's that's my whole point. That like, I think that rappers and artists, they let the fans dictate who they become. 
And it's like, in a weird way, it's up to you because the evolution of every artist should actually be outside of the realm of the fans. Because at the end of the day, the fans don't know what the fans don't know. And so if Future became conscious and he decided to do that, it is then to make sure, his job to make sure he does it in a good way that is still palatable and still listenable. It's not, maybe he won't have all the fans, but I still think it's the artist's role to make sure that they don't just give the fans what they want, but they stay true to themselves. And so if staying true to yourself is changing, then you should do that rather than staying the same for your entire career. I mean, yes, I do agree with that, but I don't think that the industry as a business, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a, uh, a fucking, you know, uh, a fucking self-help group, uh, or this isn't <laughs> like, you know, these people aren't fucking, um, well, what are those people called? Uh, life coaches. Like they don't care. They're like, yo, you're not selling the way you used to sell because you're rapping like you got some fucking sense now. You need to go back. It's not a sustainable business model for the evolution of man in hip hop in the mainstream if you don't come in that way. See, people can embrace Joey Badass. People can embrace Nipsey Hussle because Nipsey Hussle came in all about evolution. He never stifled as just a gangbanger from California, South Central LA. So the, 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 the fucking fans could never pigeonhole him to just being a gangbanger. He started to make evolutional leaps in his personal life as a man and in the music and people had to embrace that. But artists stifle themselves and get what I call the Heath Ledger complex where they don't know how to get out of character. They like it. They buy into it. They wear it. They get consumed by it. And now it's method acting. They don't know how to turn it off. And they're like, fuck it. Rick Ross don't talk like, yes, you know, he's <laughs> you know, he probably I'm like, yeah, man. So it was fucking crazy today. Like, yeah. he can't do that publicly. That's the part that sucks. They do it to themselves, you know. But I believe Kanye West is who Kanye West is on and off camera. I believe that's who he is. I believe Kodak Black is who he is on and off camera. People have to accept him for that. People have to respect them for that because they come in showing their true color. This is who I am. Evolve, unevolve. This is who I am. Most artists come in as the mask that they wear. Oh, I'm this rapper. I'm this big fucking gangster. I've killed people. I've killed people. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. That's who you are now. And they buy it. Like, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. As soon as they start to evolve as a human, people are like, oh, no, 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 turn the channel. We, this nigga's trying to grow. No, he's talking like he got sense. No, we don't want to hear that. Artists do it to themselves. I don't even think it's the fans, the label. Artists do it to themselves, man. Tupac killed himself. Tupac could have been one of the biggest revolutionary artists, and he is. He's the most impactful artist to ever rap over a microphone. But because he couldn't remove himself from the thug life gangster mentality that got him killed. So the general public narrative is, but I do think it was a lot bigger, but if we're going based on public narrative, Tupac was his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. Well, I think that's the point is that like, you know, it's up to you to make sure you don't project an image that you don't want to live with forever. 
Nobody knows, man. They're young. They come into this shit, man. Nobody knows. It's like porn stars who fuck for money on camera. They don't know one day they want to be in politics. They don't know that they wanted to build a career that was based on moral compass. Like they didn't know that. They've established themselves so early in the game that defined them. So now it's so hard for them to reestablish themselves because they then pigeonhole themselves to how they initially established themselves in the first place. So now they start holding themselves back because it's hard to do. Imagine fucking if Arnold Schwarzenegger just had, to, if they kept telling him, man, you have to be the Terminator. He was like, ah, oh, no, I actually want to be the governor of California. If he allowed himself to hold himself back, he would have never been a governor. And people still want to hit him with that Terminator shit. But he's like, I'm the governor now, bro. You got to address me very differently at this point in my life. You know, I wish as humans, we understood that we have the power to shape shift. We are the real alien, man. We can be anything we want to be. Anything. Well, Ani is an amazing example of like the evolution of a human of like, yeah. you know, coming here. He's got such a thick Austrian accent. Everyone made fun of him. Bodybuilder, greatest bodybuilder, arguably of all time then turned movie star, turned politician, turned spokesman for so many great causes. And like, if there's someone that, you know, knew or figured out just for himself of how to evolve, that is definitely one of them. He just really found the way to make sure that he continued to grow as a person and utilize his skill set. Yeah. I never knew he was from Australia. I didn't know where the fuck Arnold Schwarzenegger was yeah, from. He's I just always, he's like, yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. I, and now when I go back and listen to it, I'll, I think I'll be able to catch it. I never was like, wow. so I was like, where is he from, man? It's like a weird, like, because Austria is like near Germany. So like they have like a bit of the German influence there. Yeah. So like you'll hear it now, yeah. but like, yeah, I mean, to come in with such a strong accent and like half the time, nobody knows what the fuck he was talking about in movies and like, right. but yeah. still he became iconic for just like, and he did all these weird roles. He did like, um, you know, twins. Yeah, he did. But he was also like twins with Danny DeVito and shit. So he did these, oh, like, yeah, yeah. you know, these weird movies. I think there was one where he was like pregnant and had a baby in it and stuff. And like, yeah. so he yeah. did all those things, but it never, you know, damaged his, his kind of career or anything. He just kind of, he was, he almost became bigger than anything else he did. Like his name of Arnie, everyone's just like, yeah, that's Arnie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, but I also agree that being also a white man in the world allows you to be able to shape shift and reconfigure a lot more too as well. And it's more acceptable. It's, harder being an african-american doing those things too it's like we don't have as many stories of that right a guy being like you know can play a transgender and then he can play pregnant then he can play this gangster after a while black people are like oh fuck no that's too much like that's too much but i think it's more acceptable man in the world for for a guy like arnold schwarzenegger to be able to do that we can only hope that that same kind of acceptance continues to develop for more than just white guys. Um, because obviously, you know, we always, we all want that, but, um, I'm always aware of, uh, taking up too much time, but man, I've only got one more question for you. And it's probably going to be one of the toughest question I've asked. I think I've asked a couple of tough ones, but if you had to recommend one album 
that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of. Cannot be your own work, can be any genre of music. What would it be? That is some deep contemplation. Wow. Yeah, man. Jesus Christ. Because now all the artists are flowing through my mind. But I mean, I, you know, I love a lot of these artists and there are a lot of great, great bodies of work. But I'm going to have to say, uh, man, Soul Food by me, man. Other, other than you? Other than me? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, other than me, well, me, Soul Food, outside of me. Hmm. Oh man, you know what? Cleo Soul dropped an album called Mother that is just like, ah, Jesus Christ. I listen to that thing and it just takes me to places that I'm just like, man, wow. Cleo Soul, man. Mother. Never, never listened to that album. I'm going to have to check it out. Wow. Yeah, she is fucking phenomenal, man. Her voice, angelic. She's like a fucking songbird. Yeah, she's amazing. Well, Cle- you're going to have to say the name again because I, I was... Cleo? Cleo Cle- Soul. Cleo? Yeah, C-L-E-L, Cleo. Cleo Soul, like soul. Yeah. Cle- Cleo Soul. Uh, I'm going to have to check out that album, but uh, I am always thankful for artists coming on my show. And I, as I said, I was looking forward to this one uh, more than a, a few of them, but De Niro Farrar obviously came through. Make sure you support him. Make sure you check him out. He's dropped a lot of singles, um, including the most recent Tax Free, Spooked by the Door, Retribution, Ain't Got. Um, you got music videos out. Um, obviously, see him on uh, IG as well. But, man, is there anything else you wanted to plug or anything else you wanted to shout out? Man, no, man. Thank you. I really appreciate your time, brother. We're going to get out in these New York streets, man. And uh, get back to, to a bit of cool weather. No, I know, man. I got family here, so I'm going to go see my family while I'm in New York. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.